Hello everyone. Today I bring you two very special tales. A listener request from C.L. Larson. Ah, there you are, my dear friend. Come in. Come in out of the cold and warm yourself by the fire. I was just perusing the volumes on the dusty old shelves of this library for something to read before retiring. Who do we have? Blackwood, James, Lovecraft, Poe. Quite the collection. Would you care to hear something? You would? Splendid. Now, let me see. Ah, here we are. I believe I have the very thing. What the Moon Brings by H.P. Lovecraft I hate the moon. I am afraid of it. For when it shines on certain scenes familiar and loved, it sometimes makes them unfamiliar and hideous. It was in the spectral summer when the moon shone down on the old garden where I wandered. The spectral summer of narcotic flowers and humid seas of foliage that bring wild and many-coloured dreams. And as I walked by the shallow crystal stream, I saw unwanted ripples tipped with yellow light, as if those placid waters were drawn on in resistless currents to strange oceans that are not in the world. Silent and sparkling, bright and baleful, those moon-cursed waters hurried I knew not whither, whilst from the embowered banks white lotus blossoms fluttered one by one in the opiate night wind, and dropped despairingly into the stream, swirling away horribly under the arched carven bridge, and staring back with the sinister resignation of calm, dead faces. And as I ran along the shore, crushing sleeping flowers with heedless feet, and maddened ever by the fear of unknown things and the lure of the dead faces, I saw that the garden had no end under that moon. For where by day the walls were, there stretched now only new vistas of trees and paths, flowers and shrubs, stone idols and pagodas, and bendings of the yellow-litten stream past grassy banks and under grotesque bridges of marble and the lips of the dead lotus faces whispered sadly, and bade me follow. Nor did I cease my steps till the stream became a river, and joined amidst marshes of swaying reeds and beaches of gleaming sand the shore of a vast and nameless sea. Upon that sea the hateful moon shone, and over its unvocal waves weird perfumes brooded, and as I saw therein the lotus faces vanish, I longed for nets, that I might capture them, and learn from them the secrets which the moon had brought upon the night. But when the moon went over to the west, and the still tide ebbed from the sullen shore, I saw in that light old spires that the waves almost uncovered, and white columns gay with festoons of green seaweed, and knowing that to this sunken place all the dead had come, I trembled, and did not wish again to speak with the lotus faces. 
Yet when I saw afar out in the sea a black condor descend from the sky to seek rest on a vast reef, I would fain have questioned him, and asked him of those whom I had known when they were alive. This I would have asked him had he not been so far away, but he was very far, and could not be seen at all when he drew nigh that gigantic reef. So I watched the tide go out under that sinking moon, and saw gleaming the spires, the towers, and the roofs of that dead, dripping city. And as I watched, my nostrils tried to close against the perfume-conquering stench of the world's dead, for truly in this unplaced and forgotten spot had all the flesh of the churchyards gathered for puffy sea-worms to gnaw and glut upon. Over those horrors the evil moon now hung very low, but the puffy worms of the sea need no moon to feed by, and as I watched the ripples that told of the writhing of worms beneath, I felt a new chill from afar out whither the condor had flown, as if my flesh had caught a horror before my eyes had seen it. Nor had my flesh trembled without cause. But when I raised my eyes I saw that the waters had ebbed very low, showing much of the vast reef whose rim I had seen before. And when I saw that this reef was but the black basalt crown of a shocking icon, whose monstrous forehead now shone in the dim moonlight, and whose vile hooves must pour the hellish ooze miles below, I shrieked and shrieked lest the hidden face rise above the waters, and lest the hidden eyes look at me after the slinking away of that leering and treacherous yellow moon and to escape this relentless thing I plunged gladly and unhesitatingly into the stinking shallows, where amidst weedy walls and sunken streets fat sea-worms feast upon the world's dead. The Thing in the Moonlight From a Letter to Donald Wanderay, 24th of November, 1927 my dreams occasionally approached the fantastical in character, though falling somewhat short of coherence. One scene is especially stamped upon my recollection, that of a dank, fetid, reed-choked marsh under a grey autumn sky, with a rugged cliff of lichen-crusted stone rising to the north. Impelled by some obscure quest, I ascended a rift or cleft in this beetling precipice, noting as I did so the black mouths of many fearsome burrows extending from both walls into the depths of the stony plateau. At several points the passage was roofed over by the choking of the upper parts of the narrow fissure, these places being exceedingly dark, and forbidding the perception of such burrows as may have existed there. In one such dark space, I felt conscious of a singular accession of fright, as if some subtle and bodiless emanation from the abyss were engulfing my spirit, but the blackness was too great for me to perceive the source of my alarm. At length I emerged upon a tableland of moss-grown rock and scanty soil, lit up by a faint moonlight which had replaced the expiring orb of day. Casting my eyes about, I beheld no living object but was sensible of a very peculiar stirring far below me, 
amongst the whispering rushes of the pestilential swamp I had lately quitted. After walking some distance, I encountered the rusty tracks of a street railway, and the worm-eaten poles which still held the limp and sagging trolley wire. Following this line, I soon came upon a yellow vestibuled car, numbered 1852, of a plain double-truck type, common from 1900 to 1910. It was untenanted, but evidently ready to start, the trolley being on the wire, and the air-brake pump now and then throbbing beneath the floor. I boarded it, and looked vainly about for the light switch, noting as I did so the absence of controller handle, which implied the brief absence of the motorman. Then I sat down in one of the cross-seats toward the middle, awaiting the arrival of the crew and the starting of the vehicle. Presently I heard a swishing in the sparse grass toward the left, and saw the dark forms of two men looming up in the moonlight. They had the regulation caps of a railway company, and I could not doubt but that they were the conductor and motorman. Then one of them sniffed with singular sharpness, and raised his face to howl to the moon. The other dropped on all fours to run toward the car. I leaped up at once, and raced madly out of that car and away across endless leagues of plateau till exhaustion waked me. Doing this, not because the conductor had dropped on all fours, but because the face of the motorman was a mere white cone, tapering to one blood-red tentacle. I hope you enjoyed these two short tales from H.P. Lovecraft, and thanks once again to C. L. Larson for suggesting them.